take a look at the backfield splits in Detroit, Baltimore, and Buffalo on today's episode of Fantasy Football in 15. everybody, what's up and welcome in to another episode of Fantasy Football in 15. Here at The Athletic, I am Michael Beller, joined by Derek Van Riper. DVR, the middle of another week, we are getting closer and closer to what we hope to be week one of the NFL season. How you doing today? Doing really well. I think all I'm hoping for is some sort of clarity, maybe even some sort of just adjustment from the NFL, kind of proactively saying, hey, let's change up the schedule just a little bit, so that way we can account for the fact that we're trying to play this season in a pandemic. But I might be, might just be waiting for something that's never going to come. I don't know if they're necessarily going to operate that way. Yeah, it definitely has a little bit of a waiting for Godot feel to it. And uh, if it does happen, I think we're still going to be sitting here for a few more weeks before we get any sort of clarity on that situation. Uh, this should have been the week where we were talking Hall of Fame game stuff and wrapping up uh, the earliest training camps. But uh, we find ourselves in the position that we do. We've got a few little news updates for you uh, before we get going with the meat of our show. Opt-out deadline is set for 4 p.m. Eastern on Thursday, so uh, players have a little bit more than 24 hours from the moment that this episode uh, is published to decide whether they are in or whether they are out for the 2020 season. Matthew Stafford and Gardner Minshew activated from the COVID-19 list. Matthew Stafford apparently uh, registered a false positive. Uh, the Lions had been holding him out after that, but uh, came back as a false positive, had something like five or six negative tests sandwiched around that false positive. So all good for Matthew Stafford and Gardner Minshew has recovered, so he is able to rejoin the Jacksonville Jaguars. We had one opt-out uh, on Tuesday, that coming from Alan Hearns in Miami. Alan Hearns not quite on the fantasy radar, uh, but perhaps that changes things in a little bit of a way in the Miami offense. A few news updates also to run through here. Ron Rivera said that he envisions Alex Smith competing for the starting job in Washington. Uh, I think I'll believe that when I see it. All the best to Alex Smith. would love to see him be able to rally back from that gruesome leg injury he suffered a couple of years ago, but still got to believe that job belongs to Dwayne Haskins. And Ben Roethlisberger also making his way back from a serious elbow injury last year. Apparently had three torn tendons in his elbow, and if he is able to come back from this, will be the first quarterback to have ever undergone the surgery that he did and get himself back on the field. Obviously, that would be great news for not only Roethlisberger, but James Conner, Juju Smith-Schuster, Deontay Johnson, and everyone with the stake in that Pittsburgh offense. And now we move on to the main topic of the show. On yesterday's episode, we talked about three backfields that feature a rookie and a veteran vying for the lion's share of touches. We're going to look at three more today. Again, just to mention, we are not going to talk about the Chiefs because we know that the big rookie there, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, has a stranglehold on the backfield with Damian Williams opting out for the 2020 season. The first one we are going to talk about is in Detroit. The Lions used a second-round pick on DeAndre Swift. Of course, just a few years ago, they used a second-round pick on Carrion Johnson. Swift is clearly the favored play in the fantasy community. RB26, 54.25 overall ADP. Meanwhile, you have to wait another 50 picks before you hear Carry On Johnson's name called in a typical draft. 105.41 is his ADP. That makes him the RB41. This is one where I have a strong opinion. I'm going to let you go, though, first. Derek, how do you look at this line's backfield? I'm concerned that what we saw from Carry On Johnson is more indicative of what he is at this stage of his career and that 
he can't be as much of a complimentary piece as the Lions are kind of saying publicly that he's going to be, which is good because I believe in DeAndre Swift. Like I think DeAndre Swift can be a three-down back. I think we're we might be looking at on Johnson's rookie season, 5.4 yards per carry that year, got pretty involved in the passing game, only played 10 games. But we might be looking at that and projecting too much of a role in 2020 based on that. And you just wonder, after the injuries, is he even the same guy? And I think a big part of the appeal for DeAndre Swift, I mean, look at what he's accomplished at Georgia. This is a, a school that's produced some great running backs in recent years, Todd Gurley and Nick Chubb. I think it's even fair to wonder uh, what Sony Michelle would have been in the NFL if not for persistent injuries. You know, Swift has speed. He's elusive. He's just one of those guys that does everything that you're really looking for. Maybe the one thing he's missing is being a clear-cut power back, so short yardage opportunities or something he could lose. But if you compare him to on Johnson, that doesn't look like a role that Johnson's going to fill. So I could actually see Swift being the guy that gets like 80% of the touches and someone like Bo Scarborough or some chunky back just coming in to be the complimentary short yardage guy and carry on Johnson ending up being more of an afterthought. I think Swift is actually a nice value where he's going right now in part because people are only holding him back thinking that carry on Johnson's going to revert to that rookie year form. Yeah, that is my strong feeling as well. I really like DeAndre Swift. He's someone who I find myself being uh, drawn to again and again and again when the draft gets to his stage. And again, just to uh, repeat an ADP right there in the mid-50s. I really like him. I think the Lions made it clear how much they like him. He was the second back off the board this year and uh, 30, at 35 overall. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was the last pick of the first round of the Chiefs. Three picks later, you find DeAndre Swift about, what was that, six picks ahead of Jonathan Taylor. So the Lions had uh, a whole lot of running backs available to them. The fact that they went after DeAndre Swift and uh, didn't go with a couple of guys in their college area backyard in Jonathan Taylor and J.K. Dobbins, I think tells you even more about what they think about DeAndre Swift. I think he could ultimately end up running away with the job. We do know that he is going to be uh, the guy who catches passes for this Detroit team. And even though I've been backing up Matthew Stafford, Kenny Galladay, uh, with the, what they were able to do in half a season together before Stafford's season-ending back injury, I do think that part of that was driven by game flow that the Lions found themselves in. And maybe the passing volume on a per-game basis for Stafford will come down a little bit. But even if it does, uh, DeAndre Swift is going to be a huge part of whatever the passing game is, and it's not as though we're going to see, you know, something along the lines of uh, with the what the Bears have done with Tariq Cohen and David Montgomery. It's not just going to be a pure you're our passing down guy who's going to occasionally mix in on the ground, and you are our primary runner. DeAndre Swift, I think, is going to get plenty of opportunity to make his presence felt on the ground as well. So this is a guy who I really, really like quite a bit. One of the rookies who I think I am most comfortable investing in uh, when you compare him against his uh, veteran teammate. Clearly, I am on the DeAndre Swift train at 54.5 over Carrion Johnson at 105.41. Sounds like you are as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if I'm choosing one at ADP, it's definitely Swift. I don't think Carrion Johnson's necessarily undraftable. I think there's a chance he Same. falls from that ADP sometimes. And this could be an offense that's actually good enough to support two backs, at least during the time of the season when we're dealing with a lot of injuries, when bye weeks pick up. You know, Carrion Johnson could have a little bit of flex appeal in the right matchups. But uh, DeAndre Swift just looks like a special talent. I think this rookie class of running backs just looks really good overall. Uh, even if they don't have opportunities across the board to be 
lead backs in their respective backfields. I think we're going to see a lot of these guys go on to have several productive seasons. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if we were talking about a big chunk of these guys as high picks in the not-too-distant future akin to that 2015 right wide receiver class with Odell Beckham and Mike Evans and the way that they just all came on so strong in their rookie years could see this running back class uh, doing something approximately along those lines. Let's move on now to Baltimore where we find one of those Big Ten running backs that the uh, Lions passed on, that being J.K. Dobbins. Of course, he is in there with Mark Ingram, two guys who are getting drafted very closely to one another. Ingram's ADP, 56.71, the RB28. J.K. Dobbins' ADP, 68.28, the RB31. This is one where you really have to make your choice, too, because it is not a wise use of draft capital to end up with both these guys. You're either an Ingram guy or a Dobbins guy. I think more clearly than any of these other backfields that we've talked about and more clearly than the one that we still have on tap for this episode, I, DVR, am firmly, firmly, a Mark Ingram guy. Not only do I think that he is the clear guy to own in Baltimore, I think he is quite possibly the best bargain on the board regardless of position this fantasy football season. He is in the best run offense in the league. We saw what he did last year. Better than 1,000 yards on just 202 carries. Ran for 10 touchdowns. Scored five touchdowns through the air. Obviously, that is going to regress this season. But the fact that they still gave him 29 targets, he got 26 of them in the offense that Baltimore ran last year, says that they still believe in him as a receiver. And all you got to do is go back to his second to last year with the Saints, and you find a a 71-target, 58-catch, 416-yard season through the year. This guy is not someone who just does a lot of damage on the ground. He can do plenty of damage through the air, and again, plenty of damage on the ground. Last four years, 5.1, 4.9, 4.7, 5.0 yards per attempt. He's not an accumulator. He's not a volume guy. Mark Ingram makes big, big plays. He already is a great fit alongside Lamar Jackson. They're so important. I mean, we talk about pass protection time and time and time again. They need as much pass protection as they can get when they have a guy like Lamar Jackson doing what he does. And Mark Ingram knows that he can do it. This team knows Mark Ingram can do it. I love Mark Ingram this year. I will have J.K. Dobbins on zero teams and Mark Ingram on a lot. I might actually avoid both, even though I like both players, because I think they're both good enough to get on the field a lot. I agree with your take on Ingram. I mean, this is a guy who got five yards of carry last year. He's only been under 4.6 yards per carry one time since 2013. It's amazing what he's been able to accomplish. He is good enough in the passing game to have a role there. It could be a situation where if you have Dobbins, you're getting eight, maybe ten touches per game for the first six weeks of the season. And maybe by the time you get to the middle of the year, it's more of a split. Maybe if Ingram shows any signs of decline, they can be a little more aggressive with Dobbins. I think J.K. Dobbins is a legitimately great running back. This is a good problem to have. Uh, This is just one where I do see Ingram as a value. I also could see these guys creating just a nightmare committee for opposing defenses, but also for fantasy owners alike. I mean, I'm I'm convinced there could be a situation here where they're both rosterable, but they both might be more like RB2s and flex without RB1 ceilings as long as they both stay healthy. That's the frustrating part here. 
Yeah, my uh, love for Ingram is not meant to diminish J.K. Dobbins at all. I think he's going to be great, and Ingram could be gone from Baltimore as soon as next year. And if that's the case, then I'll be beating the drum for J.K. Dobbins playing alongside Lamar Jackson. Uh, But as long as Ingram is there, I really believe that he is going to be uh, a lead back in a 65-35 sort of breakdown. And when you have that sort of uh, breakdown in an offense that runs the ball as much as this one does – that's just huge. I mean, we're, I think we're still going to see plenty of volume for Mark Ingram. Even if he comes down a little bit, I think there's still a, a pathway to 180 carries and you know 25 to 30 targets for Ingram in this explosive, efficient Baltimore offense. He is someone who I absolutely love. So is this an avoid then for you? I mean, you said that you find yourself going in that direction. Is this an avoid for you if you're looking at, you know, somewhere in the 55 to 65 range, both of these guys going off the board? Do you find yourself going in a a different direction more often than not? Yeah, again, I like both players, but I just think for that amount of draft capital, I just want a little more certainty. And I, I think they could they could be good in best ball. I, I think in, in leagues where you got to make that decision every week, you're going to err on the side of playing them. If they go through a stretch where the workload's a little bit even and the games aren't popping off in terms of like being so clearly starter-worthy, you're going to drive yourself crazy trying to make lineup decisions with guys that you took in the fifth or sixth round, which is just madness. So I think Ingram's got plenty left in the tank, and that's part of the problem for Dobbins in year one. All right, so a little bit of a difference of opinion there, given that I am a big Mark Ingram fan. I drafted him uh, two nights ago in my Super Flex League and our colleague Jake Seeley's Flex League. So uh, very happy to have Ingram on that squad. One more backfield to look at. This one is in Buffalo. We've got Devin Singletary, the RB24, 51.87 ADP. And then the rookie, Zach Moss, 112.25 is his ADP, RB43. DVR, I don't get the Devin Singletary love. I mean, they went after Zach Moss for a reason. They wanted to add that level. They wanted to find some sort of Frank Gore replacement. Uh, Sean McDermott was not going away from Frank Gore last year. And on top of that, you've got Josh Allen, who had nine rushing touchdowns last season, who's going to take away some of what uh, is available to the running backs at the goal line. And that might sound like a little bit of cognitive dissonance uh, when I just went crazy for Mark Ingram, given that he's got Lamar Jackson next to him. But they do not use him the same way. Lamar Jackson is a different type of runner than Josh Allen. And Josh Allen gets used a lot more in those goal line situations than Lamar Jackson does. I want no part of this backfield. And if I'm going to have anyone in it, it's going to be Moss. To me, that Devin Singletary price tag, again, 51.87 ADP, one of the most overvalued players on the board. Yeah, the same way you feel about Ingram being one of the best values maybe in all of fantasy football this year, I feel like Devin Singletary might be one of the worst with an ADP right around pick 50. I I just think everything you pointed out with Allen being heavily used around the goal line, Moss being a bruising back who could also be on the field a lot in those situations, uh, it does not bode well for Devin Singletary. At price especially, Zach Moss is on my team 10 times out of 10 if I'm looking at both of these guys. I think if Devin Singletary going into 2021 is going where Zach Moss is going right now. Maybe that could work in some formats. I think he is an explosive player and a guy who's very dangerous when you get him out in space, but it just doesn't look like the Bills have any designs and letting him be more than a complimentary back in their offense long term. And even as an efficient complimentary back, it's a bad setup for him right now. So I'm totally out on Devin Singletary for 2020 and definitely intrigued by Zach Moss at that price. I'm a little worried that price is going to come up, though. I think as people get more comfortable with how productive he was in college and start seeing how much more he fits this offense than Singletary, I think Moss is going to creep up in ADP. And if he gets up into the 90-95 range, 
that's going to be too rich for me. So it's probably now or never if I'm going to end up getting Zach Moss on any 2020 teams. Yeah, with you entirely. And this entire Buffalo offense is one that sort of scares me. I think Stephon Diggs is a nice fit for Josh Allen's skill set. But other than that, I find myself uh, usually being able to go in a different direction and not getting myself tied down to the Buffalo Bills. That's going to wrap it up here for this episode of Fantasy Football in 15. Please give us a rating, a review, and a subscription. We greatly appreciate it, including those ratings and reviews. And if you're not yet an Athletic subscriber, you can still get 40% off a subscription at theathletic.com slash football in 15. For Derek Van Riper, I'm Michael Beller, Fantasy Football in 15. We'll be back with you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.